0: Welcome everybody to the fine flow podcast. I'm your host, Sean McDermott. And today we have with us uh, Chris Schroeder. And uh, so Chris is a 30 year software development guru. Uh, I've had the pleasure of of working with Chris on a number of companies we co-founded together. And I tell everybody that he's probably the most brilliant software developer I've ever met. Um, And uh, so he's done a bunch of startups, he's exited a startup. Um, and he is now the CEO of another company called app 47. that does application, um, mobile application management. So, but at his heart, he is a software designer and software architect and, uh, has built many, many, uh, systems, SaaS platforms and other things and has become a real expert on SRE. So welcome, Chris.
1: Thank you, Sean. And thank you for the kind words.
0: Oh, uh, you're welcome. Well, you know I'm always a big fan. So all right. Uh so we're just gonna jump right into this. Um and today we're gonna be talking around talking about so we talk a lot about on the podcast about SRE. And it's a big to- a big source of topic for us. And uh lately we've been kind of talking about SLAs and SLOs and SLIs and I know you do a lot of work in this area. So um let's talk about that. So um Let's kind of focus in, I I think we're going to delve into SLIs and SLOs mostly. Um, we can talk about SLAs, but I think everyone kind of knows what SLAs are, Mm -hmm. but let's talk about SLIs and SLOs. And so my first question to you is in terms of SLO, right? Service level objectives. How is that different than event management and monitoring?
1: We all know and love. Yeah. So to, to start with the fault management and observability platforms that we all know and have worked on for, for years and years, uh, we all know metrics, you know, is it available? What was the time for it to respond? Did, how long did something take in a queue, uh, either automated queue or, or work personal workflow queue? We all know those metrics, we all use those metrics. We all um, have have set thresholds uh, and even dynamic thresholds for for that based off of time of day and things like that. So that is an SLI. There's nothing different in there. It's just in the context of SLOs, the metrics that we've always used and have always measured are are what's called an SLI, service level indicator. That's all it is. We now take a service level, the SLI, Uh, And we apply that to a unit of time uh, with a threshold, and that creates it as an SLO. So let's give some simple examples. You have an SLI that is uh, availability. Was the request made by the client to the web server successful? Was it a 200 response uh, or 200 HTTP response code and what time did that take to respond? Those two are are two different metrics. Was it successful and how long did it take? Both of those metrics together measure the end user's experience. Was I successful in a reasonable amount of time able to retain or obtain the information I was looking from your system? So we take those two SLIs and we apply targets to them. I want... Um, my availability to be greater than, let's say an easy example, three nines, 99.9% of the time to be successful. And I want it to be 99.99% of the time to be less than 200 milliseconds. So now I've got two metrics and i got two targets, right? And the final ingredient that we need for those SLOs is a unit of time. And so I'm going to say that I need 99.9% of the time a successful response for the rolling 28 days. And I'm going to want 99.99% of the time, less than 200 milliseconds for a rolling 28 days. So why 28 days? Uh, the, 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 the reason for 28 days comes out of where did SLOs come from? SLOs came from uh, predominantly from Google SRE team and definitely you know software engineering organization um, and traditionally in, in Google their sprint life cycles um, or release life cycles are 28 days apart so it's four uh, four sprints roll into 28 days and so that's what's driving that metric. Um, for, for 28 days, but really it can be seven days. It can it be, be anything you want it to be, right? Right, right. There's no, there's no, no rule that says yeah. it's going to be 28. It, that's this, the de facto standard is, is starting out 28.
0: Can, can, you, can you combine those two SLIs together and have one objective? So basically yeah. say, all right, availability for us is successful reach within 200 milliseconds mm-hmm. uh, or within yeah, some millisecond, right? That's, that's um, called a
1: composite SLO. Uh, and so that's what you're, you, a lot of times you have one SLI to one SLO, and another, and, but, but more commonly you have composite SLOs, I'm sorry, composite SLIs to, to, to build that SLO. So it's got to be successful, it's got to be in a certain amount of time, um, and, and maybe you bring in reliability that it persisted the data uh, correctly, which is a different, different measurement altogether. But you bring those things together to represent, and this is the end, the end goal. Is you're trying to measure user experience, customer satisfaction with this?
0: Gotcha. So this is really not that much different than what we've done in the past, right? Because we've collected performance metrics, mm-hmm. and we've we've you know collected information. Okay, server availability um, or application availability, and it could be like synthetic synthetic measure synthetic transactions or just you know looking at, you know, metrics coming off of the server itself and the application and then rolling that into some type of performance management system that we've used in the past. Mm -hmm. And then saying, look, you know, um, let's graph this thing out and let's show availability based on these metrics Mm -hmm. over the course of, you know, the last 24 hours Mm -hmm. or seven, seven days and things like that. So, uh, it's really not that much of a difference. So it sounds to me like this is really more of a standardization of what we've done in the past you know some augmentation of it but really kind of getting on the same page as an industry of what are we agreeing to what are the objectives that we need to meet to get to that agreement and what do we need to
1: measure in order to make get to those objectives you're absolutely right for when you're talking about slis and slo's it, it up until this point in the conversation, it's it's what we've done. An application performance management system is going to set a dynamic threshold on availability, but its, it's context is usually going to be, what is availability usually on Thursday afternoons between three and four? Because that's mm-hmm. when you do Thursday uh, patch updates. And so, you know, availability hurts a little bit on between three and four on Thursday, so you allow for a little less availability than you do for other hours of the day, right? But it's mm-hmm. it's it's looking, if you will, for fault rather than for maybe a, um, an SLO, right? Um, what changes is is looking at it one over time, but but I think what's new and what's different um, is what do you do with the data. So what you do with the data historically is I'm looking for fault, I'm looking for alerting, I'm doing pager duty, I'm um, I'm notifying people in Slack that something's not in line with the norm, right? So I need to go react and I need to go figure out what's going on. That's historically what we've done. What we're doing with Yeah, SLOs. So that, would,
0: that would, an example of that would be, um, I'm I'm sending out an alert to the team, opening up an incident ticket because yeah. I we've known the system has noticed that. Um, a threshold has been violated three times in the last five minutes and that threshold is dynamic based on time, right? So that threshold would be different at two o'clock in the morning versus five o'clock in the afternoon. Um, but the rule of, if the threshold is violated three times, then generate an alert and generate a ticket, and then you go in and they're trying
1: to resolve a, a, a
0: problem, an instantaneous problem
1: um took t- absolutely correct um and, and that's and those systems that produce the sli but collect the sli have the the uh the the initial set of data are very adept at doing everything that you just described mm-hmm. um taking that up into an slo and converting it into an slo where we're, we're taking that sli data over a period of time with the target um we now start to do different things with that data, and the predominant use case for that data uh, really comes back to uh, app development innovation. Right? Remember where this all came from or started. A lot of this started was was from Google. Google wants to innovate; their software engineering organization at its core. Mm-hmm. Right. So here's the question: If I'm sitting down and I get a trouble ticket like we were just talking about and we have an incident created, then I'm going in I'm trying to figure out what is going on. My first question always, always is what changed? So by de facto, or by de fact, um, change equals chaos, chaos equals downtime and slow response times. And, and anytime you're troubleshooting, the first is always what changed. But if you say that you're never going to change, you're never going to innovate. So how do you find the balance? So with SLOs, what you're you're doing essentially is saying, look, I'm not gonna be up uh, available 100% of the time, right? It's just not possible. And if I am, I'm not gonna innovate in doing so. So I'm going to accept some level of downtime because I wanna deploy new features and deploy them, right? And risk that change, right? And I wanna be able to do that in a controlled data-driven way, right? So our data is now the SLO. So a byproduct of the SLO is, an SLO target is 99.95% of the time I'm up. That means 0.05% of the time I'm allowed to be down. That is called your error budget. And that's a new term in, in the context of SLOs. So error budgeting is a way that we can say I have this many minutes of downtime in a given month, depending on what what time frame you you take. You, you, you take your your target and you take your time frame and you do the inverse of that to get your error budget. It's it's not complicated math. It's really super straightforward, right? Um, you know, and so so now that we have our error budget, we now know that I can be down 15 minutes a month. Or maybe I can be down, you know, 30 minutes a month, right? So, so what do we do with it, with that data as a product manager and I'm sitting down and I'm doing my sprint planning, I always have a choice. I have technical debt and I have feature requests, feature requests are changes. Mm -hmm. And as we've already talked about, they are a change creates chaos, chaos equals downtime sometimes, right? Technical debt, usually you're trying to address a known issue in the system, either a bug by a customer or an infrastructure problem or a resiliency problem or some kind of redundancy that you're trying to build in the system. So now I can make a data-driven decision. If I have my full error budget at halfway through the, the rolling life cycle, then I better get aggressive and go make changes and drive features to the product. If I spent all my error budget halfway through the window, well, then i overspent and I got to go, I should go do technical debt and stabilize the release.
0: Yeah. So to put this in context, right. While you're doing this, I'm I'm on my calculator. Um, (laughs) So 30 days, 30 days in a month, 24 hours in a day, 60 minutes in an hour is about 43,000 minutes per month. Right. So if you're at a, 0.0. Point zero. So, if you're trying to get to 99.999, right? right you've got 0.001, which is about 43 minutes a month right. of potential downtime. So, what you're saying is my error budget is 43 minutes, yep. right per right. per month. Let's say we're just we're not going to use 28 days, but um, then, um, so what you're saying is okay. Now I've got this error budget, and in this error budget, I can do either address technical debt, or I can innovate. And if I'm, you know, two thirds of the way through the month, uh, that 30 days, that 30 day stretch, and I have no downtime, then I can be a little bit more aggressive in my innovation because I know that I've got some error budget that I can tap into in order to, to get to that, you know, stay within my, my SLA or SRO,
1: right. SLO, SLO, SLO. Yeah. 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 And, and, and I'll, I'll come back to really the what's the crux of the difference between SLO and SLA, but but mm-hmm. let's, let's stay stay on, on this topic of, you know, how to me in, when digging into SLOs is it, you know, what's different about what we did? we, you know, been doing for years and, and it it really comes down to what what can you do with that data, and what does it it, it sort of alleviate the the, the decision making process, you know, um, around which features do you implement, and what infrastructure should, you know problems do you try to solve, and really at the crux, at the end of the day, I should say, at the end of the day, that that's the largest difference between. What we've been doing with observability platforms, application man- performance management platforms, and doing uh, what we're now doing with SLOs. Gotcha. Yeah.
0: So, uh, so let's talk about SLAs then.
1: Yeah. So, so there's two distinct differences between a, um, a SLO and an SLA. Uh, first is pretty easy to understand. The real, the real biggest, the, the biggest difference is. Uh, SLO is is between two um, entities within an organization. Uh, and a SLA is going to be a legal assignment of an SLO to a customer. It's going to be in a legal doc. Uh, really, that's what makes it an SLA. It's an agreement between, between yourself and an outside party that's now contractually yeah. obligated to hit that number. Um, and so what you're going to do in your SLO platform is you're going to have um, make sure I do visually do this the right way. Um, if if your measurement for the customer is here, right? Then you want steps leading up to that to know that you're approaching, you wanna be notified when you've, you've exceeded the customer's SLA, right? You want a threshold here and a threshold here before you get to that. Um, but that's really what makes it an SLA is that it, it, it is an agreement um, uh, between yourself and an outside party. for. Constituted within a legal document, and that's really the only difference between it. Um, and I, I'm sorry, I apologize. I said two things. So that's one. The other is 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 how the time windows are, are typically defined. In an SLO, pure SLO, um, they'll usually use rolling 28 days. So so your SLO is always based off of the last 28 days, right? And so what that means is as a development team in order to get back to a compliant SLO is I, it, it's kind of like the um, uh, there was a uh, uh, ammunition factory by my college and I, we would drive by it and they would always have, you know, 322 days since the last accident. Right. Mm-hmm. And then one day at school, we heard a really big boom when we drove by two days later and it said two days since the last accident. <laughs> um, so we now knew the big boom came from the ammunition um, uh, factory. Um, and so what you're doing with that rolling days is, is you, you have that reserve, right, that you've kind of saved up, but now you start to spend it as you produce innovation and release it. And then if it starts getting too low, you can pull it back up, but you've got to do it until your air your, your, um, uh, budget recovers, right? And it's a rolling 28 days. And that's, that aligns with your dev cycles and your sprints and all of that. So rolling days for SLOs when they're typically oriented towards a dev system or between uh, or internal organizations an SLA will is going to get measured on a calendar month or quarter or year um and so in okay. this month it's going to be this and in this quarter it's going to be that and so those are really the two different two differences between SLO and SLA uh is 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 the time window and the contractual obligation
0: so i remember you know whenever i think of SLAs i think back to like 1999 you know and I know I'm dating myself but you're right there with me so um and UUNet put out this advertisement and you worked at UUNet so you know this well and it said death taxes the only thing you can rely on is death taxes and the internet yeah. and they basically were one of the first companies because I remember I was doing work at Bell South and it kind of threw the people at Bell South for a loop right? Because we were building out their internet division, BellSouth.net. And it kind of threw them for a loop because they're like, oh my God, you didn't just released these SLAs. The funny thing is, is that if you go in and looked at how the SLAs were calculated then and how much they contractually returned to you, it was minuscule, yeah. you know, because it was like, okay, if we're down, more than 99.999% uh, and you just, that's 0.001. So let's say that they're, they blew their SLA by double. So they're at 0.002. We're going to refund you 0.002 of your monthly internet charge, which came out to be like $3, you know? Yep. And I always found that funny, right? Because, and and I found it brilliant actually, because they built a whole, marketing campaign around their reliability and stand behind it. But in the whole scheme of things, if they miss an SLA, it didn't cost them that much. The advertising costs them way more than the, than the actual
1: payment of the SLA. So, and, and, that, and I remember being in that meeting where the CEO announced, Hey, we're going to do a hundred percent SLA. And I actually have the plaque upstairs of death taxes and, and internet now, now three things that you can car- guarantee. Um, hmm or something like that, but it's upstairs in my office, but, um, the, the other, it was totally a marketing, uh, engine. You're absolutely right on that. Uh, but the other aspect of it is, is the engine. You
0: you were actually, I mean, you wrote the performance
1: management. Yeah. My, my team 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 did all the measurements, right. And so we collected all the data that, that the end customer, uh, would use, but here's the thing, the end customer didn't have access to it. The end customer had to come to us and said, you were down and here's the yeah. proof. Right. And then we would go compare it with our data and they go, oh yeah, you caught us. And so it was, it was cheaper to say hundred percent than it was to engineer the monitoring and the management and the display of all that back to our end customer. To, to, allow them to monitor or measure it. So we just said, eh, call us on it. You know? yeah. Well, it's, it's kind of
0: like those companies, you know, where they say, okay, hundred percent guarantee, right? You buy this product and hundred. And the reality is that whether people are happy or not only very, very small amount of people will return it. so it's easier just to, you know, most people won't, won't return anything, mm-hmm. you know, so, worth the worth the like, and so they don't really lose out on that guarantee. So, so let's shift gears a little, I mean, not shift gears a lot, but let's talk about, um, open SLO yeah. and where does, that's a, my understanding, it's a specification that's been developed around how to measure SLO. So can you give us some more input on that?
1: Yeah, it, it's close. It, it, it's more about how to, um, uh, define SLOs, right. So the, the concept being we, the, the originator of this, the, the, the people driving this, you know, SLOs are more about internal measurements than they are about um, SLA support, right? So I, as, uh, if you think of a large organization, then I'm gonna have a main system that I log into to, you know, look at my account. But that main system is gonna have an identity management system and uh, a billing system uh, and a, you know, a shopping cart and all these other subsystems that come into that. Well, it's not one team that builds all that, it's it's multiple teams that all need to respond to certain SLOs. So the shopping cart team is gonna have a set of SLOs that, that they're obligated for the main portal team and likewise for identity management and for, for billing. So what we want to be able to do is we want to have SLO as code. We, just as somebody writes code and, and defines how a system works or looks or behaves, we want to be able to define what is measured, what are the targets, and where are the, um, the, the SLIs collected from? Are they collected from, say, a new relic or a Splunk or a, a Dynatrace? Where does that data come from? What is the target? What is the time frame? How is it computed? You know, is it time sliced or or um uh, uh count? Um and, and those are just two different types of SLOs to, to say time slice or count. Um and then uh how do we then enact that inside of an SLO dashboard, right? So back to your original question: what is that open SLO? Open SLO is a way to define SLOs so that they can be uh, import it, export it to and from SLO dashboards, right? So I, the, the idea behind it uh, is, and it was started by a company called Noble 9. Noble 9 is an SLO dashboard. Um, uh, I don't want to say niche, but it's kind of, that's the best term I can think of. They're a niche player in the SLO domain. Their only focus is to have the best SLO dashboard that's out there. That's their idea, right? And that's their target. So they they founded OpenSLO to enable SLOs to be imported into and out of their their system using the Open SLO uh, format, and that and that's what it is. it is. essentially a YAML file that allows developers to define SLOs.
0: So, I mean, can't you use pretty much any dashboarding technology?
1: I mean, it's just data at some point, right? Yes, you can. Yeah, um, and and there are plenty. Yeah, uh, I would say plenty. So, if you're using
0: um, for, something like Tableau, I mean, where is the yeah. data stored? So, if you're basically saying I got, I'm um, collecting these metrics, mm-hmm. um, and am I? And let's say the metrics are being collected by New Relic. You use that as an example. Yeah. And where do those metrics get stored? Are they are they stored within New Relic, and we're just getting them out of there, or, or are we exporting them into a a Mongo db and and yeah
1: typically typically what you need, so so it's interesting with with uh new relic and dynatrace both have slo capabilities for the data that it, it it collects and monitors or that comes in through open telemetry right so any data that sits inside of it it can produce an slo dashboard based off of of, of those metrics that are coming in and and has that time series database so you could do it just if you were a pure Dynatrace or pure new relic shop, you know, your SLO platform could, would simply be a, a Dynatrace or a, a new relic. Um, gotcha. if you had a multitude of systems like a lot of large fortune 500 are, you know, through acquisition or just differences and technology that's required. Um, you, you want to bring those into some kind of data lake, uh, and then attach it, uh, you know, if you're going to use a, a Tableau to do that. Um, and that's and that's kind of how you would solve that. But what's interesting about a, a Tableau is, could a Tableau do it? Yeah, the Tableau could do it. But ta- you would have to go in and do all of the, the error budgeting. Uh, it can do all the graphing and all the data simulation, but doing the error budgeting, mm. the countdowns, burn rates, and stuff like that. As far as I know, we haven't seen it out of the box. Could be that I haven't hit the right webpage yet. Um, but, uh, but we haven't seen it and, and that would be kind of a difference between, a um, a, a Dynatracer on Noble nine that has specific SLO capability to do that, that, uh, burn rate and, and error, uh, error budget, uh, calculation.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. I didn't think about the error budget side. So if you, if you Google open SLO, I mean, it shows a GitHub page. What yep. are you getting off of GitHub? Is that the YAML configuration file?
1: Yeah, it, 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 it's uh, what you're getting out of there is um, there is a way uh, to to validate your uh, open SLO, uh, and make sure everything's specified that, you know, all the required mm-hmm. parameters against the, the SLO definition, um, as well as if it's the one that I'm thinking of, it also helps you, it has an importer to take an OpenSL file and import that into your Noble 9 instance and talk to that. Uh, so oh, oh, Noble 9 is a SAS player. Um, so it would just be talking to your account uh,
0: API. Gotcha. So, um, but Noble 9's got to then connect into something like a new relic or something like that, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. So they'll have okay. So Noble 9 has some type of connector into, into that. So it knows you remember those connector days, the YAML, the right? the, the what, say that again?
1: You remember those connector days, right?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I have nightmares <laughs> about those connector days. Um, but you know something like a a Novel, Novel, Novel 9?
1: noble noble 9 noble in n o b
0: l no oh noble noble 9 so they've built connectors into these different sources and then they import the yaml file the yaml mm-hmm. file will define all the parameters and will also define what what SLL what metrics to pull off of off of um you know new relic in order to yep. define the SLL. so yep. do, does does like a new relic import an slo uh, yammer thing too or do they have that same ability
1: uh, not that i've seen um, they they allow all of their slo definitions to be done through apis or, or the ui either one um the UI. so I, you can just,
0: so if you if you know like if you know what you want to do from an slo you can go into uh, and you know that the data is coming in through new relic you can go in and you can actually create yeah. through their through their own ui through an SOL. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. So interesting. So, um, well, this has been great. What, what else you want to talk about? Anything else you want to catch us up on, on SLOs and SLIs? Well, I, I,
1: I think what and I may have already said some of this, so my apologies if I'm repeating myself, it, 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 the, the, the things that interest me the most about it, um and it could very well be just sort of a you know shiny shiny object syndrome of you know this is the new thing and it's not new it's been around for about five six years uh, maybe a little bit longer but but the the new aspect is is going back to something that i care a, a fair amount about and and that's software development and and how how do you use the the data that's coming out of production uh around the end user experience and 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 measure. Excuse me. In measuring that, to now make data-driven decisions, and I, I, I th- that sits on top of all the technology that we just talked about. That concept of adopting how will I make decisions, and how will it's not so much um disaster or averting downtime. You also have to think about the other way, and that if my error budget o- is always full. I'm not moving fast enough. I'm not innovating fast enough. I'm gonna be out of business because I'm not moving fast enough. So it's mm-hmm. it's a finding somewhere in the middle that I'm not disrupting too much, but I'm disrupting just enough and accepting that, not going the union that example that you used of we're just gonna be 100%, right? That doesn't work because too many people have a way to measure your system now. It's too easy to do. And so, yeah. so making that data-driven decision off of a real, real data changes the game for development teams to make informed decisions. And I think it's it, that, that to me is the exciting part.
0: Yeah. And I think, that, I think the interesting thing, cause I go back to, you know, our, our world, you know, 15, 20 years ago where we were just doing performance metrics and mm-hmm. thresholding and things like that, but there wasn't really, there wasn't an innovative component to it. Like it was actually the opposite. It's like, I don't want to be innovative with my network right? I don't want to go in there and make changes. Like, that's the last thing we want. We want stability right. above all, right? right? And, you know, like your DNS servers, your identity management, your networks, you don't want to be innovating too much there, right? It's, I mean, certainly you want to be able to upgrade to the latest versions of, you know, Cisco ILS or whatever it is, to get better network resiliency and things like that. But, you know, you really are going for stability and that's the Mm -hmm. main game. Um, So if you look at it and you say, okay, um, that's a difference now, right? I think that's a, that's an interesting difference. So, but well, this has been great. I really appreciate you coming on uh, the podcast. We will definitely have you back on and talk more about SRE type stuff because that's always exciting. Exciting for me, at least. I don't know about anybody else, but it's exciting for me. Um, and uh, so, thanks for coming on, Chris. All right. Thanks so much, Sean. Take care. All right. Take care. Bye.